Father, we're very conscious of your presence in the meeting this morning. Father, we thank you for the wonderful way that you've spoken to us already. Father, I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you will continue to speak to us. Father, we receive of that anointing which you have promised. And Father, I pray this morning you will help me, Lord, to get the balance which is so clear in the Word of God. Father, we are asking in the name of Jesus, Lord, that there should be no license unto liberty, but on the other hand, Lord, no submission unto bondage. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we might know freedom, total and complete freedom. But Father, that we should be conscious all the time that you are the head and that we have to submit to you and to your ordinances because we are those who are called into the army of God. This morning, therefore, I pray, Lord, that we should be warned and challenged by the word that we are to hear, but that we should know it is the voice echoing from heaven into our hearts even this day. Father, I pray too that we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Father, we don't want to deceive ourselves, and your word is a lamp unto our feet that we should know how to live uprightly before you. Therefore, Father, just bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I'm continuing our study of eldership. And could I say before I begin that it is important that if you are here this morning that you should hear the Bible study that I gave last time. Last time I was talking about the office itself and I actually defined what the various titles of an elder are as given in the Word of God. All right, I also saw the qualifications that elders are to have, but I also explained the limitation that God has put upon their authority. And I did that simply by talking about what are the rights of every free individual in the body of Christ. Do you remember I showed you all that every one of you has a right to free will? Secondly, that every one of you has a right to religious freedom. And thirdly, that every one of you has a right to free access to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches you, and the anointing which you've received abides within you, and you will know what is truth. In fact, the word I would claim for us all is John 7, 17, that if your will is to do His will, you will know whether the teaching is from God. And that is your absolute right. Now, having said that, I now want to move on slightly and consider what is the legitimate authority of an elder what is his legitimate rulership, and what God expects of you in the light of that rulership. The Bible warns us that in the last days there will be men who will not want anything to do with authority. In fact, men who will resist authority, and men who in fact will speak terrible words against those who are dignitaries. And can I say we are living in those days already. If you look at Europe or America, you will see that the message that you hear more often on the media than any other is the message of we're all equal, folks, and how dare anyone come along and tell us what we ought to do. And so you get it preached. I suppose in this country, because we have such a strong monarchy, we are less prone to this, but we know it's in our own society as well. The marvellous thing about having a monarchy, by the way, is that you do have people who are in positions of authority above you, and you do honour them, and you do respect them, and you do queue up for five hours at a time just to catch one glimpse of them. 
And that gives us some inkling of what it is to be under the, th the authority of the Lord. Why? We're queuing up, aren't we? What for? For the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's lovely. I always think when I go to queue up for the Queen that, you know, this teaches me something about my attitude towards the Lord. But even in our own society, we're seeing the roots of this develop. And I must say, one of the most sickening things I've seen is when you get apostate Bible teachers and churchmen on the same platform who are saying the same words as those who are claiming this total liberty for everyone. And you often uh, hear them. And you know, they are preaching the same message. And what they say is this, well, Jesus was a revolutionary, they say. The early church was a revolutionary organization. The disciples were revolutionary. And of course, I've... Uh, dealt with that in several tapes that I've done, including Respect and Authority and Anarchy and Rebellion, and it's not true. Jesus was not a, re a rebellious person. The early church was not rebellious. In fact, the message of the New Testament is this, submit to those who are in authority over you. And behind all of this message, there is the devil preaching. Do you know what he wants to do? He wants to produce anarchy in this country and in our nations, because where there is anarchy, the gospel will not come out loud and clear. That's what he desires to do. And you know, he also desires to confuse the issue of the gospel. And that's why you hear many of these apostate Bible teachers. And, that, and you know, what they preach isn't the good news of Jesus Christ. They preach the good news, very often, of Karl Marx. That's the message that comes out. Now, all of this are the seeds that we are seeing in our society of what Satan wants to grow. He wants to see anarchy breaking out. Our God is not the author of anarchy and he is not the author of chaos. He is the author of stability within a nation and he is the author of order. And God has put into positions of authority in our society certain people. He is the one who sets up kings and he's the one who removes them. And therefore, this morning, we've got to see that in his own work as well, he has set up authority. This is the clear message when you read the New Testament, that God has put authority even in the church. And so we've got to look at the authority that God has put in his church. These are certain men that God has raised up and he has given them a ranking. And he expects every one of us to know who these men are and to recognize the ranking that God has given to them. Where there is anarchy in the very work of God, why the devil actually is the one who receives the fruit. And we've got to see that anarchy is never the will of the Lord. Always order and always stability are the order of the day as far as God is concerned. So elders have been appointed in the midst. And when you recognize these elders and when you give them the honor which is due to their position, may I say, you are not giving them honor as men. You're giving honor to the one who appointed them. The whole time you have God in your mind and you are saying, God, you are sovereign. And you have decided that these are the ones to be in authority and I submit to your will as far as their <clears throat> office is concerned. So let's turn to the Bible then and let's have a look at what our attitude has got to be concerning authority in the body of Christ. And I want to begin in the book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5 and we'll be seeing quite a number of scriptures this morning because this is a very important subject. 
1 Thessalonians and chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 13. And in all of these verses you will see the realm of eldership authority. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And here you are to esteem these men not because they are more talented than you are, Oh, well, he's more handsome than I am. He's a, a snazzy dresser, you know. He's more charming. He's a better organizer. He's more efficient. He knows more of the Bible than I do and all the rest. That is not the reason for esteeming them highly. You esteem them highly because of God's sovereign appointment in their lives. And here it says you've got to know who these men are who are in the midst. The word know here, it, there are many words for know in Greek. This word is not the word which means no by experience. In other words, well, I found him so efficient, and he gave me the right word, so he must be the elder. That's not it. This word means no by revelation. In other words, you have to seek God, and God has to reveal it to your heart who the elders are in the midst. And you must know it by divine revelation, and you've got to ask God to reveal it clearly to you. And notice what it says. You've got to know those who are over you. And it defines certain things. They labor among you. The word is they work hard and they are weary. And that's what they are. And these are men who minister in the midst. They are men who are always busy in the body of Christ. Men generally whose phones keep going a great deal. But they are people who labor and it is their job to do so. Many of them have full-time jobs, and then in the evening they will actually minister in the body of Christ. So they labor among you. Next it says, and they are over you. And do you see here, it's not the message that you hear in the world of absolute equality. It is true we are all ministers. It is true we're all priests and able ministers of the new covenant. It is true that in his sight we are all of equal status. But God has appointed those to be of higher rank. And that's what this means. They are over you in the Lord. Do you remember also the warning given in other passages in the New Testament? Let no man think more highly of himself than he ought. And that is what this is saying. You must know where you stand and you must know where the elders stand as well in terms of God's ranking. So they are over you in the Lord. And the word actually over you here talks of them as managers of the work of God. And we'll be seeing this managerial responsibility a little later on. They labor among you. They are over you in the Lord. And look at this. They admonish you. And the word admonish means to correct with the emphasis on that which is wrong. It's the same word actually used in verse 14 here. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And the word warn is the word admonish. And it means when they see something wrong, they have the right in God to say to you, that is wrong and this is what you ought to do. Now, whether you do it or not is your responsibility and you will be answerable to the Lord. But they have the right of correction of that which is wrong. 
And this is why if, for example, they see that your uh, children should be uh, being dealt with wrongly in the home, they have a right to come up to you and say, excuse me, but uh, I do feel that the Bible knows the best way of bringing up children. And then you say, oh, fine, come on over, give me a Bible study on it. And they will come over, labor among you, and give you a Bible study on these things. They have a right to correct that which is wrong that they see. Okay? But you have the responsibility then of either obeying or getting to the Lord to check out what they say. Notice verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love. And I have to say this, in many fellowships around, elders are treated as punch bags. You know, that's it. And if you, well, really, it's disgraceful what's going on in this place, and you ring up the elder and you let him have a piece of your mind. And the way some people have spoken to elders is so appalling. I know God is opposed to the way they've done it. It says here to esteem them highly. And that means that you don't treat them as, as punch bags. If you have some complaint or if you have something that concerns you, you ring them up and speak to them, always acknowledging their position in the Lord, right? Not this old punch bag mentality. There are elders around who are afraid of the sheep who are in their flock because they can't bear the way they're spoken to by the flock. This says esteem them, and the word very highly means like a river overflowing its banks. In other words, let there be no end to the amount that you esteem them. Not because they're so great, but because you esteem him who's appointed them. All the time, it is the fear of the Lord that is, is behind all of this. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And look at this, and be at peace among yourselves. Because that enables the elders to get on with what is their real ministry, prayer and studying the word of God. And it means that they can be among you with joy and not with sorrow. The same things are said, but in a different way. In one of my favorite passages, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, which is a passage that uh, I try and bring into several Bible studies, 17, 18, and 19. All right, now let's concentrate first of all on verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. Or, as some translations put it, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the teaching of the word. Now, all elders are apt to teach, as I explained last time, but there are certain elders who have a ministry of agonizing in the Word of God and in doctrine. And this is a very important ministry, as we'll see. But the word labor here means uh, agonizeme. It means to agonize in the Word of God. These are people who are totally given over to the ministry of Bible teaching, and they are to be given double honor. Now, before we deal with this, let's just read the next verses. Verse 18. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And that's put in there just to remind you that you must never take the efforts of the elders for granted. After all, you see, some of the elders have full-time jobs, and in the evening, they then have time that they should be spending with their families. When they are ministering to you or giving you time, they are giving up legitimate time that they should be spending with their family. And this says, notice that the laborer is worthy of his hire. And that doesn't mean to say necessarily giving gifts to these people, although in the ancient world, when you went to a, a man of God and you received ministry, you always came bearing a gift. But that doesn't mean it. 
What this really means is always acknowledge the sacrifice that they are making and keep it in your mind, right? And this means, I think, that uh, if you notice that various things around their houses are not done and you have time, perhaps you will bring yourself forward to say, look, you don't have time to do that. Let me do this for you. And that's the type of attitude that's got to be brought in. This is to correct a blasé attitude that so often comes, oh, well, the elders are there to wait on me. I'll just ring them up any old time. You know, receive the bit of wisdom that I need and so on. We've got to be sensitive over these, these matters. Verse 19 is also important. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And in the Old Testament, you could not be convicted of a crime unless there were two to three eyewitnesses. That includes murder, by the way. Everyone says how bloodthirsty the Old Testament is. Not at all. In fact, you had to have two witnesses that you did that murder, and they had to see you do it before you could actually be convicted of the crime. And here, if an elder has offended you, by all means go to him and say, excuse me, but you offended me. And if he's an elder, as, as he ought to be, he will say, yes, I've done that, and I apologize to you, you know, and then he'll get right over that thing. But don't receive an accusation except there be two eyewitnesses of the event. And do you know why that's put in? Because Satan wants to corrupt the eldership. Satan wants to actually remove the eldership. Satan wants to undermine the eldership in the midst. And often he will move by casting all sorts of lies against them. And you must make sure that in fact they are properly attested before you listen to them. That again is giving deference to God, right? Keeping God in honour and his appointment of these elders. All right, back to verse 17. The elders, therefore, that labour in the word are to be given double honour. But notice this, the elders that rule well are also to be given double honour. And we learn something important from this, that not all elders rule well. That's very important. Some people think, oh, well, I'll uh, honour the elders who rule well, but those that don't, I won't. What this actually says is, the elders that rule well give them double honour, and those that rule badly only give them single honour. You see that? Now that's lovely. And therefore, it is true that in any fellowship group, the elders will be held in different levels of esteem, but they'll all be held in esteem. And I've also noticed this, that some people will think that this elder rules well and they give him double honour. Whereas other people think, well, I know he's an elder and I respect him, but I don't think he rules well. But I think he rules well. And as long as there are elders around that you think rule well, then you can give those particular elders double honour. But all elders are to have honour, not, as I repeat again, because they are so efficient and so magnificent in all the tasks that they do, but simply the calling of God in their lives. All right? So there it is. The elders that rule well, therefore, be counted worthy of double honour. And the elders ought to cover everyone who is in the fellowship. So that's our attitude. We have to esteem them highly and we have to give them honour. And then God also demands something else of you. He demands that you submit to the elders. There are two words, actually, that are used sometimes, submit or subject yourself. And some people have tried to make a big difference between these two. In the Bible, they are both the translation of the same word in Greek. And it's the word hupo tasso, or tasu. H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. -S 
And what I want to do is have a look at this word, hupotasso, because you'll see that the word itself gives the right balance. In fact, the word hupotasso literally means to arrange under. To arrange under or to get in rank. That's what it means. And specifically, it is a military term. Now, can I just tell you this? In the Bible, there's no such thing as a call-up. I used to be in favor of the call-up, you know. I used to think it was excellent for young men, now that I was beyond the age anyway, excellent for young men to actually be called up. It would do them good, put some backbone into them and all the rest. And then I started reading in the Bible, and the Bible says, no, no, no. A, a call-up is a disaster for an army because you've got people who don't really want to be in the army. And the Bible actually says you must have a voluntary army, people who want to be there and people who've decided in their free will that they are to be there. And that's why, incidentally, you have religious freedom in the body of Christ. We don't want people who feel that, oh, I must be a member of that fellowship, I suppose. That's not it. That's enlistment. That's useless. We've got to have willing people who really want to be in the fellowship. And that's what I defined last time as your religious freedom. You have a right to worship where you want and God bless you. Hallelujah. You'll never find us lying in your way if you want to escape. Hallelujah. All right? But the word here, to get in rank, refers to the military army that it was. And people used to come and say they thought that Alexander the Great was a fantastic man. They used to enlist in his army. They used to go and say, excuse me, I'm really with Alexander the Great, so I want to be a member of his army. And what used to happen? They, men used to come and you say, well, I'm a sergeant, I'm an officer around here, and you will obey what I say. And what they had to do was get in rank under these military officers. Again, notice, the men who were in charge of them may not have been more intelligent than they were. In fact, very often they weren't more intelligent than the people who enlisted. They may not have been more talented, but you see, they were appointed as officers by Alexander the Great. And their job then, of the ordinary ranks, was to get into rank and to know who was over them. And the same is true today in the army. When you enlist into the British army, you've never met these officers before, right? They haven't passed an IQ test or, you know, a member of Mensa or anything like that. You don't actually say there and say, well, excuse me, uh, can you prove to me that you ought to be an authority over me? The point is you've joined the army and the army says they're in authority over you and they're in authority over you. And that's it. You need to get into rank. But notice this. A man who is an officer in the army, A, does not have absolute authority, and B, he doesn't have authority in every area of your life. You see, the man who's in authority over you is under authority himself. He can't do as he please with the people who are under his authority. He's answerable to a higher authority. Similarly, an officer in the army can't tell you to do certain things. He can't say, all right, you horrible lot. You're going to marry that horrible lot. <laughs> he can't do that, right? He can't take all the male conscripts and all the female and say, right, you know, we're going to pretend we're in the moonies for a change and we're going to get them together and you've never met this woman, but she's your beloved wife. They can't do that. They have no jurisdiction over that. An army officer cannot tell you how many children to have. You will have 3.2 children. He's not able to do that. It is not an absolute authority, and that's not the implication in the word, hupotasso. The men that you are under have a certain range of authority, and they have legitimate authority un within those limitations. And so you get under their authority as far as army life 
is concerned. Can we see the use of hufatesso in other spheres? For example, go to Romans 13 and verse 1. In Romans 13 verse 1, here's the revolutionary Paul writing. Not a bit revolutionary. And his message here isn't, look, the Roman authorities are so evil, you better rebel against them and overthrow them, and the more you can overthrow them, the better it is. That's not what is said here. In Romans 13, and verse 1 and 2, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And that's referring to non-Christian powers in the state. And he's writing to people living under the tyranny of the Roman emperor. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And you know that this applies to us in our land. And specifically with us it has reference to policemen and magistrates, magistrates and judges. Now a policeman comes along and he has authority over you. Right? We've got a policeman in the midst at the moment in this Bible teaching session. I have authority over him, but outside he has authority over me. And I must respect that authority. And it says here, let every soul be subject. That's hupotasso. Come into rank over these things. And have you noticed the older you get, the younger the policemen get? <laughs> but you don't say, you little pipsqueak. <laughs> Who do you think you are coming along and talking to me like that? He has been given rank by, well, you go right up, the queen is the top of the, the tree there, right? He's been given his rank, and you must submit to it. But does that mean he has absolute power? Can a policeman just uh, open your back door and come in and say, hello, give me a cup of tea? No, he can't. <laughs> he doesn't have absolute power. He doesn't have absolute power in every area of your life either. Uh, for example, a policeman can't stop you and say, excuse me, do you know you're going 20 miles an hour? And you say, yes, I was going 20 miles an hour. Well, it's against the law. Who says? I say. I've just decided, walking down the street, that there's a 15-mile-an-hour speed limit on this road. <laughs> you see, he can't do that. He himself is under authority. And you actually, if a policeman never says that to you, you should say, I don't think you're right, you know. And you should actually say, well, can we go to the policeman? And I'll ask your superior officer whether you are correct about that. He himself is under authority. Similarly, he can't go up to you and say, excuse me, will you change your car? Right, I don't like the color. It's red. <laughs> or he can't even say to you, you will live in another area. Right, uh, knock on your door and say, right, off you go. I think you should live in Ealing. And you say, yes, sir. You're the policeman. I must submit to his authority. Yes, sir. That's not what this means. And do you see the word hupotasso doesn't mean that you've got to do absolutely everything that those who are in authority demand of you. What you've got to do is what they say within the limits of their authority. Now this is terribly important. The same word, uh, by the way, do you remember in Acts 4, we've seen this before, that there was one occasion there where the church did rebel against the civil authorities. I think even though we've done it, we ought to go there again. Let's go to Acts and chapter 4. Now here you've got civil authorities. And the civil authorities can say to you that, <clears throat> for example, you must pay your rates. The civil authorities can say you must pay your tax. 
They have all sorts of areas of jurisdiction, but even they do not have complete authority over you. And here, verse 18, the authorities get the disciples and they say this, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now these are people who are civic officials. And they say to these disciples, we forbid you to preach in the name of Jesus. Now the question is, does their authority cover the religious life? The answer is, it does not. And therefore, these disciples had a right to say, I'm sorry, we will not obey you. God says we're free to preach the gospel to whom we choose, right, subject to their free will, of course, and where we choose, and you as a civic authority do not have the right to tell us how we function in the religious sphere. By the way, do you know that is why covenanting is part of your religious freedom? Covenanting says this, that I give money to the Lord, and I pay tax on that money, and the government has no right to take money from the money that I give to the work of the Lord. And so you say to the government, give it me back, and the government does. You give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God's, and, the, and Caesar cannot affect those things that belong unto God. So here the disciples say, verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. In other words, God tells us one thing, you tell us something else, who do I obey? Will you obey God in that situation? And that's true of any person who is in authority. If a person who is in authority tells you to do something that violates the Word of God, you have no responsibility to do it whatsoever. You have to obey God. And may I also say this, the day may come when I will have to stand up here in Chichester and say, the authorities are telling us that we should do this. We will not do it. If ever they try and restrict our freedom to worship as we want, we have a right to say no. It is beyond their limits of responsibility. Now, do you see, this word hupotasso then does not mean an absolute submission to whatever the authorities say. That's not it. You get into rank. Another place that it's used is in employer-employee relationships. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, I'm concentrating on this because there's a lot of nonsense spoken about this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 18, this is real revolutionary speaking, isn't it? Servants, be subject unto your masters. Amazing. And this, for us, means this. The servants will be the employees. The masters will be the employers. And so it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. In other words, the awkward customer who's trying to bring you uh, into order. You have a, a duty to submit to that person. Now, that means that an employer has a right to tell you, for example, when to begin work, how many hours to work. He has a right to tell you what type of standard he wants in the goods you're producing. By the way, you have free will as well. You can resign from your position, right? That's your free will. 
or you can accept the job. It's entirely up to you, but you must submit to him. Now, does that mean the employer then has absolute power? Of course it doesn't. You can do what you please in the evenings. It's your perfect right. You can marry who you please. Your employer doesn't say, well, excuse me, we don't like your wife. Will you dump her? They can't say that's beyond the scope of their ability. And you must not submit to that type of thing. This word hupotasso is also used with husbands and wives. Now, we've had so many weddings in the fellowship that have talked about this, I'm not even going to turn to the passage. But it says, wives, be subject unto your husbands. And you know, a few years ago, the nonsense was talked which said this, if you've got a non-Christian husband and you want to win him for Christ, do whatever he tells you to do. And that was actually, I've got books that actually say this. Whatever your husband tells you to do, you better do it if you want to win him for Christ. And you know, some people actually implied that if he told you to do sinful things, you still had to do it just to win him for Christ. Now that is totally anti-biblical. The word hupotasso does not mean do whatever he tells you to do. Most people who are married to a non-Christian have to make a decision, don't they? They have to say, well, I must go along with him part of the way and I must stand firm the other part of the way. And you have to make this difficult balancing act. But you know, some people were actually told, if your husband says you should go along to a sleazy night joint and commit all manner of evil... You must do it to win him for Christ. That is rubbish. And it's from that teaching that a wrong emphasis on submission to elders has actually come. If your husband tells you to do things that are out of line with the word of God, you have a right to say, no, I won't. And that applies to every single wife in this fellowship. Right? If your husband says, you, sin, sin, you have a right to say, no, the word of God forbids it, and I will not do it. So we're hard up, and you want me to do some shoplifting. No, I won't. The word of God says, no. Do you see, the word of God is the higher authority. So do you see the point I'm making? This word submission is not all-embracing. It is within <coughs> very <coughs> definite limits. Now that's the point. And so when we come to submission to elders, we also work within these limits. Let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 16. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 16, 16. <clears throat> or actually verse 15, first of all. Now verse 15 doesn't make any sense in the King James Version at all. I don't know why they put the brackets in. If you leave the brackets out, it makes a bit more sense. And let's forget the I beseech you brethren. Let's uh, just leave that out and then we'll understand it. <coughs> <coughs> he says this, You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the fruit, first fruits of Archaea. This was the first family he led to the Lord in this region of Archaea. And I love this phrase, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry. Oh, if only we had everyone in our fellowship addicted to the ministry. In other words, every day you are just longing for God to send those people to you, that you can give them the word of the Lord and encourage them and pray for them. Isn't that thrilling? Addicted to the work of the ministry. To the work of the ministry of the saints. Now verse 16, that ye submit yourselves unto such. These were the first fruits. These were the ones that Paul had said had authority in the area. And these people were told to submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. 
Now there it is. And this is one of the verses that tells you that within the body of Christ there are people in, an, in authority that you have to submit yourself to. But remember this, your first submission is to God and to his word. Then comes your submission to the eldership. That is very important. That is why any elder that asks you to submit to him and his teaching is off base. Now there are people around who say this, if you submit to me, you obviously submit to all of the teaching that I give. That is the quickest way into error, and that is the quickest way for heresy to take over in the body of Christ. You have a right to go to the Word of God to check whether a, a man's teaching is correct. And as I said last time, that is why I have never said to anyone here, don't read that book, don't listen to this man, and don't read that passage of Scripture. Never heard me say it. Because you must take what I say and you've got to go back to the Word of God and check it out. The Word of God is higher in authority than I am. That's why I'm a teacher of the Word. Okay? I say that the Word is the highest authority. Therefore, if any man ever says to you, if you submit to me, that means you submit to my teaching, I'll tell you, he's bringing you into bondage. Because really what you are doing is giving up your rights to be independent in your thinking. And that means if he goes into error, apparently you have to submit to that error, because you've submitted to him. That's the wrong use of the word hupotasso. You do not have to do that with any man at all. If that were the case, you could never get a verse like Revelation 2.2. Have you ever seen Revelation 2.2? Here you've got something that is good in the church of Ephesus. In verse 2, Jesus gives a comment on what is going on in the church of Ephesus. Verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Now notice the next bit. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now in our day, you've got many men claiming apostleship. And with apostleship, very often, they are claiming absolute submission. We're the apostles around here, we're the ones directing the work of God, and you better get under ours and into line, otherwise you've missed the boat, fella. That's the type of message that comes out. Do you see here that when a man comes along and says he is an apostle, you do not submit willy-nilly to this man. You check him up constantly according to the word of God. And if he is out of line with the teaching in the word of God, you find him false and you do not submit yourself to that man. Much of the teaching going on today actually means that verse 2 of Revelation 2 could never ever have been written. Now that is bondage. You are giving up what is your legitimate right. You have a right to have an open Bible and you have a right, if the Bible teaches a thing, to believe in that thing. And don't you ever let a man rob you of that particular right. This is, as I say, the quickest way into bondage. And if you hear of something that is wrong in a man's teaching, you have a right to go to him and you have then the final right to say, no, I won't submit to it. And incidentally, that is why we as elders are open to what we get from the body of Christ. I remember on one occasion we made a mistake about deacons and we were electing the deacons. And then we read in Acts 6, as we'll be dealing with in a few weeks' time, that in fact the people elected the deacons. 
And do you remember, I actually stood up and said, look, folks, we've made a mistake about this. Because we as elders are not above the Word of God, we're under the Word of God. And that is the limit of our authority. If an elder ever tells you to do something which is anti-biblical, you have a right to say no. Right? Do it, don't do it badly, you know, and argumentatively. You have a right to say no. How many articles do we read in the newspaper where sin has broken out in a particular fellowship or in the body of Christ and you hear this woman saying, well, he was the, the man in charge of the church and he told me to commit this, uh, this sinful act. An immorality has broken out in the midst. If a man who is an elder or an apostle tells you to commit an immoral act, you must first of all resist him and you must make sure that the other elders know what he has done. That is essential for keeping the purity in the body of Christ. Do you see, that's why we have plurality of eldership. An elder cannot stand up and say, this is the way it's going to be. He is subject not only to the other elders, but also to the whole body of Christ, but especially to the word of God here. Now, we must never, ever take hupotasso to mean a total and absolute submission in every single area. That's all wrong. All right, having said all of that, let's see then areas where elders have legitimate right of rulership. First of all, they have authority in doctrine. The shepherds are to lead the flock into green pasture. And the elders are the ones who will actually, it will be from among the elders, that the teaching will come into the midst of a fellowship. Again, that doesn't deny what I've just said. You must check out the teaching. And may I say, if you're just believing something because I've said it, that's no good. You've got to get it from God yourself and make it your own revelation. Now, you've got to. For example, we stand for body ministry. I believe it's absolutely right. Now, it's useless to have someone coming along in the midst who really does not believe in body ministry. They'll never feel happy in the midst of the fellowship here. You must receive this as a revelation from the Lord yourself. But it is the elders who must see that the doctrine is put into action and is kept solid in the fellowship. It is the elders, therefore, who if something is done which is anti-biblical, have the duty and the right to go in and sort that particular matter out. Now this, as the days get more evil, is becoming more and more crucial. Let's go to the book of Titus, which I think best deals with this. Titus chapter 1. We're warned in 2 Timothy 4 that in the last days there will become, come men who will have itching ears. They won't endure sound doctrine. They'll heap up teachers that they want to hear. Now the elders must make sure that we do not do that in this fellowship, that we stick solidly with the word of God. That's part of their authority. Now, from verse 4 downwards, you have what I went over last time, the, the um, attributes of an elder, right? The characteristics of an elder. Let's go from verse 7. For a bishop, and all elders are bishops, by the way, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, <clears throat> not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Now look at verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as it has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, 
both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So the elders have authority in doctrine. Verse 10, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. And in our day, you've got lots of people who honestly, they can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. They uh, talk the hind legs off a donkey. That's the phrase we use. And as they're speaking, oh, it's so convincing. But it's the elders that say, I'm sorry, it's wrong. And I have to oppose people. I have to actually say, look, brother, you're making it sound very convincing, but it's wrong. It's not right. That's the specific ministry of elders. By the way, all of us should be able to do this. You must be able to discern that which is good and that which is bad. So there we are. Now verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. They bring whole houses into bondage, who ought to be free, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. In other words, money to get their allegiance, whatever it is. And so it goes on. If you go to Titus 3, verse 10 and 11, A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. And today, you know, the message is, oh, let's do everything for unity. Must be unified. Do you see? Oh, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're unified. That's all rubbish. The word of God is important. And we've got to stand by what is truth. A man that is an heretic, warn him two, one time, and then twice, and after that, reject him. In other words... Say, we will not have your teaching anywhere near our fellowship, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. And sometimes it's obvious when the teaching's wrong. But you know, sometimes it's not so obvious. And sometimes people in our own fellowship read a book or they hear a tape and some man's got a brand new revelation. Well, you'll always find the elders are very cautious over these things. And we check out what is being said. At the moment, I'm checking out several things. And until I am convinced of these things, I certainly will never minister them, and I certainly will never give them my 100% support, lest we be deceived by these things. Now, I'll check them out, and I will do it at the pace that the Lord leads me to do it. But we will check everything. That's part of my responsibility. So there it is. Doctrine is a legitimate area for elders. Secondly, elders legitimately have a right to deal with troublemakers. And next time I'll be talking, I hoped I was going to get into membership this time, but there's not time to do it. Next time I'll be talking about membership and troublemakers. And we'll actually see what form troublemakers take. There are about 14 verses just on troublemaking in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So if you want to learn about troublemaking, come along next time. All right, now there it is. Sometimes there are troublemakers from outside the fellowship and they actually come into the fellowship and they're there and, you know, everything was peaceful before they came. After they've come, everything's all upside down. That's troublemakers from outside. But sometimes troublemakers come from within the body. Elders have to deal with these troublemakers. Where do we see that? We saw it actually last time in Acts chapter 20. So let's turn to Acts 20. where we have Paul speaking to the elders at Ephesus. And we've studied verse 28 last time. Verse 29 and verse 30 are the ones. 
And Paul actually says this to them. This is his last trip. He knows he'll never see them again. And look at his parting shot to them. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember. And so it goes on. And can you see, the dogs from outside want to stop the work. The dogs from inside want to create their own little clique inside the fellowship. And this cliqueiness, as I call it, is often a sign of the beginning of troublemaker. The sort of holier than thou. Well, of course, we're the ones who are really spiritual in the midst, and it's a shame about the elders, and it's a shame about everyone else. Now, the minute that type of thing happens... And I speak from personal experience, may I say. Your ears ought to go up and the hair at the back of your head ought to rise and you should think, does this have anything that's going to last in it? Because very often, people who do this type of thing, it lasts for six months in glory and then collapses in the most utter disaster. So we've got to watch this. And by the way, wherever there is a successful work, Satan will try and infiltrate that work with troublemakers. Yes, he will. Have we ever had it? We've had it several times, you know. They've never lasted in this fellowship. But they will be trying again. Satan will never cease. Now the elders are there as watchdogs. In fact, they're the sheepdogs, aren't they, of the flock. Uh, the, the flock actually look at them and they say, well, they look like Johnny Nice sheep. And the sheepdogs, the elders come along, they sniff them and they say, they might look like sheep. They don't smell like sheep. <laughs> they smell rather wolfish to me, right? And Peter and the wolf... And everything comes into our minds and suddenly we realise there's danger in the midst. Isn't it lovely, by the way, that in our meetings you can't tell who the elders are except when trouble hits. And suddenly up they come. And that's the legitimate right of eldership. So we have a right also to tell you if, if we feel that you are actually in danger of destroying the work in this particular area. That's our legitimate right. Thirdly, we have the authority to deal with problems in the midst. We have the legitimate authority to deal with problems. If only every one of us was just like Jesus, we'd have no trouble. The problem is that we're not. And in any fellowship that is worth its, its weight in gold, as all fellowships ought to, in any fellowship that really is meaning business with God, you're going to get many different types of people. No fellowship should be just of one homogeneous nature. And so, often you find people who really don't like the other type of person. And sometimes you find personality clashes coming up. And both sides think, well, if everyone was like me, this fellowship would be super. <laughs> the trouble is, not everyone is like you. And the elders have to try and be all things to all men within the fellowship, you know. And this stretches us as well. I think I get on pretty well with most types of people in the fellowship. I like most types of people in the fellowship. Now, undoubtedly, God is going to stretch me. He'll bring in other types that I'm going to find a bit difficult, but that's part of the stretching. But, in fact, when there is trouble in the midst, because of personality clashes or because we feel we've done certain things wrong or we've been done a wrong to, if you can't sort it out yourselves, then the elders have the legitimate right to sort it out. We won't turn to it, but in Exodus 18, if you read it for yourself, there you get the type of thing. The difficult matters, said God, said God, or Jethro actually, 
said Jethro to Moses, the difficult matters you deal with, but the other matters let these appointed men actually deal with. And so this is legitimate. And all of us, by the way, should be peacemakers. This is the role, specifically, of peacemaking. Can I also say this? We are trying in the fellowship, as, uh, and under this topic, to get 100% freedom for everyone. But you know, not everyone can have 100% freedom. For example, if you say, well, I'm 100% free, and I want Roger's car. So you go out into the car park, and you drive off my car. I haven't parked it in the car park, by the way, for anyone <laughs> who wants to know. Do you see that by you claiming 100% freedom, I can't have 100% freedom, because I want my car as well. We can't both be 100% free. If we're having a Bible study at night and you say, well, I'm free and I want the lights off. So you go and switch the lights off. There's someone else who wants the light on. We can't all have 100% freedom. The only way we maximize freedom is by every one of us restricting our own freedom. And that's something we've got to learn in the body of Christ. We've all got to restrict our freedom. Otherwise, we bring others into bondage. And do you know the abomination of Scripture is a man who brings his brother into bondage? It's an abomination. And you must make sure that your personality doesn't bring someone into bondage. That your way of thinking doesn't bring someone into bondage. I'll just turn to a Scripture, and please look this up afterwards. It's just floated into my mind. hope it's the right one. Just a minute. And this is actually in the book of Leviticus... No, it's not in the book of Leviticus. But it says it is an abomination for a man to bring his brother into bondage. Now, that's a very, very important passage indeed. All right? Uh, what did I say? Leviticus 15. Let's try 25. Hold on. That's it. Leviticus 25, verse 17. Ye shall not therefore oppress one another. That's what it says. But thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. And so, elders are here to make sure that your legitimate rights are freely expressed in the midst. And I would say to us all, make sure you don't bring anyone into bondage through claiming your own rights. The last area that I want to deal with, number four, elders have the right to direct the work itself. The word rule actually means to manage, right? And a ruler is one who is a superintendent in the work. The word episkopos, which we dealt with last time, actually means a superintendent or a manager. And it is the elders who must pray to the Lord to see how the work should go. Now, all of us should have a vision for the work, but the elders ought to be the most visionary in the midst. We should be the ones who know the direction that the fellowship is going. We should be the ones who receive of God the way the fellowship is structured and ordered. That is the legitimate right of eldership. That is why it is the elders who decided we would have one meeting a month altogether. It's the elders who decided that the local area groups are to function. That is the legitimate right of elders. And the word ruler means someone who manages, who puts into order and who presides over. That is what an elder must do if he, he is to be effective in his eldership. You see? That is why I'm able to say to everyone in this fellowship, the Word of God says we must not neglect gathering together. And that's why you must make sure that unless you need an evening separate, unless God is calling you apart, you should try and get to every meeting 
if possible. I have a legitimate right to say that to you. I also have a legitimate right to say you must make sure if you're a member of this fellowship that you try and get along to at least one prayer meeting a week. That's my legitimate right. Now, whether you respond to that, you will answer to God one day. But that is my right to say that. Do you see, this is the legitimate work. Now, most, although these are not all-inclusive, most of the realm of legitimate authority, as far as eldership is concerned, fits into one of those categories. Let's then go to the passage you expected me to go to in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, and let's just read it through. Because this is the passage that many elders turn to immediately. Now look what it says, verse 7 first of all. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. In verse 17. Verse 17 now. Obey them that have the rule over you. And if they are giving you instruction which does not violate the word of God, you have to obey that instruction. And submit yourselves. Get into rank in the fellowship. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And you see here, elders will one day give an account unto God for how they have directed the fellowship. Now, some people take this wrongly. Some people think that the elders are the only ones who are going to give an account. Oh, I just do what they tell me. You know, I don't do anything unless the elders tell me to do it. Because uh, they are the ones who are going to give an account. Let me tell you, Romans 14, 12 says you're going to give an account as well. <laughs> right? I get great comfort from that. Praise God. You will give an account for whether you have done the work of the Lord that he wanted you to do. You will give an account for your own life. The elders will also give an account for their lives, but also for how they've managed the work of God. You will then give an account as to whether you submitted to their legitimate authority. And notice, please will you do this, that the elders may do it with joy and not with grief. And that's an important principle. This is one of the reasons that God says there should be peace in the midst of a fellowship. That the elders may be in the midst with great joy and not with sorrow. And last of all, in verse 24, Salute all them, says, says the writer, that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. And this is so interesting because actually here, Paul, sorry, the writer, I think it was Apollos, is writing to a group of people, not to the main church himself, the, themselves. And here, these people, for certain doctrinal reasons, had separated themselves from the fellowship. And what does he say to them? Look, your doctrine's wrong. And he gets the doctrine right in this book. Then he says, neglect not the gathering of yourselves together. You've come apart, it's all wrong. And then he ends by saying this, you give up as far as these elder, the, what the elders are saying is concerned. You are wrong. Therefore, submit yourselves to those elders, for they are right. And may I just say this, the word submit in verse 17 is not the word hupotasso. This is the only time this word for submit is used, and it means to give up and to yield completely. And he, he uses the word here because they had put themselves apart from the body of Christ. 
So he says, you are wrong, get into line. And last of all, and this must have been hard for them, salute them that have the rule over you. And that's the pointed message at the end. All right. There is legitimate authority in the body of Christ. The word of God is submit. First to him, secondly to his word, then submit to those who are legitimate, the legitimate authority in a fellowship. 